This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Britons awoke to the first day of national mourning following the death of Queen Elizabeth II, while tributes poured in from foreign leaders. The Queen died on Thursday, age 96, at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Britain's oldest and longest reigning monarch acceded to the throne in 1952 and led Britain and the Commonwealth through a period of intense change. Prince Philip, her husband of 73 years, died in April 2021. Her funeral is likely to take place on September 19th. The Queen's eldest son, Charles, has succeeded her as monarch. King Charles III is expected to address the country on Friday evening, having met with Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister, whom his mother appointed just three days ago. In a statement, the King said that the royal family would be comforted and sustained by its knowledge of the respect and deep affection in which the Queen was held. Volodymyr Zelensky, the President of Ukraine, celebrated the counteroffensive launched by his country's armed forces saying that 1,000 square kilometres of Ukrainian territory and dozens of settlements had been reclaimed from Russian forces since September 1st. Meanwhile, Antony Blinken, the American Secretary of State, promised a further $2.2 billion in military financing for Ukraine and other countries deemed at risk of Russian aggression. The euro rose back above parity with the dollar following the European Central Bank's decision to sharply increase rates to temper eurozone inflation. The dollar, which has served as a safe harbour for investors fleeing the euro and pound, fell in value by 0.95% against a basket of major currencies. North Korea passed a law enshrining its right to have nuclear weapons and to protect itself automatically by using them in preemptive strikes. Kim Jong-un, the country's leader, said that the law means the country will never denuclearize. International observers suspect that North Korea is preparing to resume nuclear testing for the first time since 2017. Sanctions have failed to discourage it. India, the world's biggest exporter of rice, restricted its international sale in an effort to safeguard domestic supply. From Friday, a 20% duty will be applied to most grades, though not basmati. Shipments of broken rice, eaten in some parts of Africa but otherwise feedstock, were banned outright. The tax will squeeze global food prices already inflated by the war in Ukraine and drive demand towards Thailand and Vietnam. America's Department of Justice said it would appeal against a judge's order to appoint an independent arbiter to review documents seized from Donald Trump's estate in Florida. The former president had requested the review, claiming the material was covered by executive privilege and should therefore be withheld from investigators looking into his handling of classified material. And fact of the day. 20% the amount by which the dollar has climbed over the past year. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Queen's death, what happens now? For years, the days following the death of Queen Elizabeth II have been subject to meticulous planning, under the codename London Bridge. 
According to the plan, there will be ten days of mourning between the Queen's death and funeral, during which most official business will be suspended. Parliament is to be dissolved immediately, as are the devolved legislatures in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. The Queen's successor, King Charles III, will broadcast to the nation. In two days, he will embark on a tour of his new kingdom. His mother, Elizabeth, will lie in state in Westminster Hall for three days, during which time thousands are expected to file past her coffin. The new king will only be crowned months later. Elizabeth's Impossible Act to Follow Crowned on June 2, 1953, Queen Elizabeth was Britain's longest-serving monarch. Her first of fifteen prime ministers was Winston Churchill. Her last, Liz Truss, was sworn in just a few days ago. Elizabeth presided over an era of dramatic change in her country's fortunes. Acceding to the throne of a fading empire, she leaves behind a vociferous, barely united kingdom. Yet she maintained a quite dignified silence through it all, as the Constitution demanded. Only rarely did she hint at her own views. Over the referendum in 2014 on Scottish independence, for instance, warning her subjects to think very carefully before voting. The troughs of her reign were often caused by familial impropriety. The miserable marriage of Charles and Diana, the involvement of Prince Andrew in a transatlantic sex scandal. That the monarchy as an institution remained so popular was mostly down to Elizabeth's personal example of duty and self-discipline, qualities less obvious in many family members. Queen Elizabeth II will be an almost impossible act to follow. Nonetheless, according to the line of succession, Charles has now become king. China's problem is not inflation. Ask an investor to name the world's most pressing economic problem, and many would say inflation. But that concern is largely absent from the world's second biggest economy. Figures released on Friday are likely to show that China's consumer price inflation in August remained below the government ceiling of 3%, and may have even stopped rising. Although the price of pork, a key economic indicator in China, is much higher than a year earlier, fuel costs have peaked, and price pressure elsewhere in the economy remains subdued. The unremitting threat of lockdowns in response to COVID-19 outbreaks is depressing confidence and spending. The debt distress of China's property developers is undermining home sales, which is only deepening the distress. Even exports, which have propped up China's growth this year, have slowed sharply. China does not have the world's inflation problem, but it has a world of problems all of its own. Tackling Europe's Energy Crisis Another crisis, another emergency European Union meeting. On Friday, it is the turn of national energy ministers. Europe is grappling with mind-boggling fuel prices. Economy-wide spending on gas and electricity 
could balloon from 200 billion euro, 199 billion dollars before the crisis, to 1,400 billion euro, or almost 10% of EU-wide GDP over the next 12 months. Policymakers need to find ways to help households and businesses through an expensive winter, and to do so in a coordinated fashion, since gas and electricity markets across the continent are linked. The ministers will discuss proposals by the European Commission, the EU's executive arm, to try to reduce peak electricity demand during morning and evening hours. The hope is to bring prices down and to redistribute the consumer's excess profits made by power, oil, and gas businesses. But ministers face a dilemma. The less they meddle with prices, the stronger the incentives for households and firms to cut back on energy uses. But clawing back profits to help hard-hit consumers is justified, too. Musk v. Twitter Elon Musk's bid for Twitter smacked of recklessness and mercuriality from the off. Witness his baiting of the social media firm's board to his U-turn in July, when he sued Twitter to exit the purchase agreement. His argument that the company had misrepresented the extent of its spam accounts seemed, to many, a flimsy excuse to abandon a deal on which he had simply soured. In May, Mr. Musk texted one of his bankers that the bid wouldn't make sense if we're headed into World War III, referring to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But August brought a fillip to Mr. Musk's case. Twitter's former security chief, Peter Zotko, filed a whistleblower complaint alleging lax data privacy at the company, as well as bots aplenty. On Friday, Mr. Musk's lawyers will question Mr. Zotko under oath. Twitter, however, alleges that Mr. Musk wanted out because he feared overpaying. Mr. Musk will have to prove that bots amounted to a material adverse effect on the business, a high legal bar. The trial proper starts on October 17th. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday. Which vehicle, first introduced at the New York World's Fair in 1964, is Ford's longest-produced car brand? Thursday. What is the term for this smallest unit of information in a computer? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Yumi Erem, Tokyo, Japan, North America, Korean Kershey, Ottawa, Canada, Central and South America, Sebastian Agudelo Restrepo, 
Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Europe. Sven Nilsson, Copenhagen, Denmark. Africa. Paul Lee, Pretoria, South Africa. Oceania. Roberta McDonald, Runaway Bay, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Rosetta Stone, Rwanda, Toxic, and Empire. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Leo Tolstoy, who was born on this day in 1828. We can only know that we know nothing, and that is the highest degree of human wisdom. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.